Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the emergency by-election special. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We're just going to go straight on with it and um, we can perhaps have more time to delve even deeper at the beginning of next week. Just a quick reminder, if you are on the Patreon version of Rock and Roll Politics, we are live together at 7 o'clock on Monday. Uh, and so if you join Patreon, you can join in. And if you can't make it, uh, there will be a recording available to Patreon subscribers where we can um, explore all kinds of themes as the recess begins and politics remains in a really intriguing place. But for now, the uh, by-elections. What is interesting about by-elections, some can change the course of political history. The ones on Thursday aren't in that category. Just to give you a couple that did change the course of political history. The Eastbourne by-election in the autumn of 1990, I think, was a factor in the fall of Margaret Thatcher, and quite a big factor. It was a remarkable by-election result. It, It followed the murder of Ian Gow, the Eastbourne Conservative MP, a close friend of Margaret Thatcher's, uh, the IRA blew up his car um, in an unbearable uh, scene. And there was even talk of the by-election only having one candidate as a tribute to Ian Gow, but the by-election was contested and the Lib Dems gained it by a huge swing. And it was one of the factors that led to the dramatic fall of Thatcher in uh, the autumn of 1990. Going further back, I think um, the Darlington by-election in 1983 was a result that changed the course of history. Many thought the SDP candidate was going to win. Labour held the seat. If Labour had lost the seat, there was talk of a challenge uh, against Michael Foote, who was then Labour leader. Labour won it. The SDP momentum subsided. Uh, Michael Foote Uh, remained in place and fought the election. These are uh, by-elections with kind of immediate uh, shifts in the potential travel of events. Now, that's not uh, the case with the three on Thursday, uh, but they they are partly confirmatory. Overall, they tell us broadly uh, that the polls are correct, and that's not always the case. Polls are often wrong. Uh, and they tell us they are correct in the context of by-elections. Who knows uh, if they are correct in the context of a general election? Two of them uh, pointed to a sort of 1997-type uh, swing. Selby was remarkable. It was the most uh, significant swing from Tory to Labour since the uh, Dudley West by-election in December 19. 19- 94. Now, I covered that by-election for the BBC. I was there for virtually the whole campaign. And this was a period of um, Tony Blair's absolute honeymoon. It was a honeymoon that went on for a long time. But he had been leader for six months, and he was walking on water. And he was the in thing everywhere. And there were, uh, even during the campaign, uh, troublesome stories erupting around the major government on a daily basis. And 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 Dudley West sometimes went Labour. It was one of those bellwether seats. Uh, now over to uh, Selby, this absolutely sort of solid and indeed more orthodox Tory seat goes with the same swing. No Tony Blair walking on water. Uh, but of course, the common factor is the uh, strength of the anti-Tory mood. 
And I think one element of that mood needs further scrutiny. I think the Tories are going to do badly in rural areas at the next general election. Farmers are deeply disillusioned with this government. Uh, They are incidentally, although many of them voted for it, deeply disillusioned with Brexit as it has worked out hugely fuming at the trade deals negotiated with Australia and uh, New Zealand, uh, which were done speedily and casually. And it's not just farmers, it's those who know farmers in the area. All the talk is about how they have been let down. And I think that was one of many factors that led to this big, big swing in Selby, a, a swing that points to kind of 1997 shifts. And then we had that other echo of that period, the Lib Dems doing well, where they are in second place. And so the win was absolutely emphatic in Somerset. uh, And uh, they now have a big majority in a seat which was uh, had a commanding Tory majority. And that, of course, is the ultimate nightmare for Tory strategists, Um, You have this pincer movement where Labour become overwhelming in areas where uh, they are in second place and the Lib Dems win in areas where they have a good chance and are in second place. Labour lost their deposit in uh, Somerset and Froome and uh, the Tory party chair, Greg Knight, mentioned that as if this was some scathing implication for Labour but of course it shows uh, that Labour supporters were very sensible and voted tactically for the Lib Dems to get the Tories out. A vote for Labour would have been wasted so it in a way is a sign of intelligent voting that Labour lost their deposit. Then we come to Uxbridge and in a way I think this is the one that will have most uh, consequences because First of all, most immediately, it gives Rishi Sunak a protective shield. There is not that headline of uh, the ultimate nightmare for a prime minister. The governing party has lost three elections, and then they go back to the last time that happened, which was Harold Wilson in 1968. He then faced all kinds of speculation about his leadership and lost the subsequent election, although, by the way, he began that election in 1970 as the favourite. So he doesn't have that nightmarish headline. There is that one win. And the win was clearly wholly or partly to do with the EULA's policy, where to drive a diesel car uh, becomes incredibly expensive in that constituency in the surrounding area. And uh, to some extent, the Tories turned it into a a one-issue campaign and succeeded. This is an area where, as uh, one of the canvassers uh, pointed out to me, you uh, have seen two or three cars in a driveway. Uh, It's a sort of car-dominated area, and it clearly played a big part. Now, this is most consequential for lots of reasons. Obviously, Keir Starmer and his team, for good reason, are obsessed about winning. The question remains how you win. Um, And there have already, uh, uh, you know, Friday morning, senior aides to Keir Starmer uh, condemning Sadiq Khan, the London mayor, for this Euler's policy and, uh, you know, saying he's lost us the bloody seat and so on. Now, this is interesting 
Because if you remember, at the beginning of the year, Keir Starmer's opening salvo was his big theme of uh, taking back control, transferring power from the centre to the local as his overwhelming mission. Now, admittedly, in Starmer-esque style, uh, we've since had five missions, but that was how the year opened. And some of you will remember, I interviewed Lisa Nandy, uh, who has the remit for this, the sort of uh, levelling up remit. And she uh, hailed a historic transfer of power from the centre to the local. But what happens when the centre doesn't like what the local is doing? You can already see people worried about the mayoral contest in London uh, next May, which is a huge moment in the context of a possible election soon after, wanting to take back control to the centre. Now, this is always a thorny issue. Every main opposition party promises to give away power. They can make these promises without costing it. It doesn't cost money as such. So you avoid the insane pre-election tax and spend debate, uh, which um, the media conducts and which does so much damage to Britain's infrastructure and public services because politicians hem themselves in to deal with that tax and spend debate. But you can talk about giving away power. However, this is a classic example. Uh, Keir Starmer's office spent a lot of time criticising Andy Burnham. They don't like him. They're suspicious of him. And now they think Sadiq Khan has cost them a by-election. And so who who controls? And it's a big question, and it's a much thornier question than it's always popular. Oh yeah, we'll give away power. Yeah, yeah, you know, we can we trust the people, we'll move power closer to the people. Hugely popular message. If there is a Labour government, they will come in and feel the need to show every hateney is being spent productively and well. And they will not be able to show it if they transfer that power to others, uh, if they cede control. And that's going to be a huge tension. And I think this ULIS issue will illustrate it in the coming days. I think in Starmer's office, the triumph in Selby, and it is a really, really substantial electoral triumph. And the defeat in Uxbridge, it is a defeat, but it was a sort of Tory seat, but they should have gained it, will probably confirm their view um, that ultra-caution is the route to victory, the only route available. They will continue, no doubt, to brief that he's following the path of Tony Blair and see this too as a route to reassure voters and in other words, continue in the way they have been, emphasising more what they're not going to do than what they are going to do. Then there will be those of us who argue uh, that, in a way, Uxbridge illustrates the fragility of that cautious approach, the risks of ultra-caution, in the sense that if there had been a sense of a big project Perhaps, though I only say perhaps, it's never certain politics is an art form and you can't prove things, perhaps that overwhelming sense of a mission from Labour would have stifled these attempts to turn a by-election into a single issue affecting the relatively small number of owners of diesel cars in that constituency. 
Um, but at the moment, although I think the five missions have potential and the idea of missions in government where you sort of break down all the boundaries and have some sort of holistic approach could be quite effective. Such is the caution and uh, the fear of uttering a word that implies a halfpenny of expenditure. It appears a very limited project at a time when people are aching for change, as we witnessed in uh, Selby. So I think that debate will intensify, whereas if they had won it, um, there would just be a sense of uh, the omnipotence of Labour. There is that nagging doubt about whether such is the uh, mighty but fragile Labour lead that Tories deploying a single issue can scupper it. And that, of course, is the other consequence. Where will this leave the green debate within the Tory party? Uh, It's well known that they have a number of MPs who are suspicious of the whole agenda. By the way, Lord Frosty Frost is part of all of that, Uh, that genius who negotiated Britain's Brexit deal. But they have, uh, in effect, kind of replaced the ERG group as a sort of campaigning force within the Tory parliamentary party. And in the same way that Keir Starmer, on the whole, says what he thinks he needs to say to win, Sunak increasingly desperate, and those results broadly justify desperation from him, will say and do what he thinks he needs to do uh, to get him back into the game. By the way, Uxbridge will trigger a few columns in the summer instead of total Tory turmoil. There will be some in the media commentariat saying, oh, there is this narrow path to power for Sunak uh, after the election. Uh, And what form that narrow path takes will be to become the uh, party of the car owner when they balance measures for climate change because they're going to have to do something remember Johnson tied his mask to it to some extent in the uh, Glasgow uh, summit last year but they will balance more in favor of the motorists and uh, uh, and I think there will be more of that from the Tories um, as they move towards the uh, election. We've already had the ridiculous thing of Grant Shapps claiming uh, Starmer is responsible for the oil protests, the anti-oil protests. And I think clearly there is now going to be a much more intense battle about uh, measures required to deal with climate change. And we've already had in this ultra-cautious Labour leadership for different reasons, for tax and spend reasons, um, a dialing down of uh, their plans for a green recovery programme. We have had, and this is very similar to Uxbridge, uh, much more equivocal stuff about whether they're going to end uh, the exploration in the North Sea because of the implication for jobs and other factors too, whether it should be Scotland making those decisions and Scottish Labour making those decisions or the centre. I think all of this will intensify. And so the by-elections will have, I think, consequences more about the nature of the debate in the build-up to the general election. And although when you look at those two 
astonishing results. Uh, in uh, by the way, of course, Dudley West, the equivalent of Selby, was in ninety four three years, nearly two and a half years actually, before the general election. We are talking about by elections very close to a general election. So although this will, in some respects, point to a kind of 1997 swing, which incidentally Labour needs just to get an overall majority, um, such is the uh, caution and nervousness within Labour on at all ranks, really. I think there will be quite a lot of internal debate about uh, the implications of that Uxbridge result. Yeah, by-elections, they sort of, on one level, seem not that significant, you know, more confirmatory than anything else. But they do a lot of changed policies in governments and focuses. And um, I think this is going to be more about a change of focus and intensification of an internal debate within Labour. Um, And the Sunak instinct, I suspect now. He was not as enthusiastic as Johnson became on uh, climate change issues. I mean, he, he's much closer, if you want to understand Sunak, he's much closer to Cameron and Osborne. Cameron pretended he was a green enthusiast, but it, the real Cameron was when he started talking about green crap and all the rest of it in government. Um, so, yeah, I think there could be a, a, a very different focus from the Tories on these issues in the months to come. So anyway, I'm recording this, um, having been up half the night, you can probably tell from my voice, and uh, a busy day ahead. If you're listening to this uh, today, by the way, there's a live uh, week in Westminster, which I'm chairing on Saturday morning on uh, Radio 4, where we'll be delving deep. And I've got a uh, a documentary out on uh, the 20th anniversary of um, the death of Dr. David Kelly. Can you believe it? it was 20 years ago? when his body was found, triggering the most extraordinary, intense debate, which had already started between the then government and the BBC. I'll never forget it. Anyway, that's on uh, Radio 4. It's the archive hour at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. But then both those programmes will be on BBC Sounds. Um, And we need to get together early next week to delve much deeper. These are some immediate thoughts, and uh, do keep your thoughts coming. SteveRick14 at iCloud.com. And if you've got time over the weekend, please do book for the Edinburgh Festival, um, which begins, my run begins on August the 13th, uh, and all the way through then, every day, uh, with different focuses each day, you know, as we try and sort of, it will be like a box set. Um, oh yeah, and just just arranged. So announced for the first time, the build up to the pre-election conferences live September the thirteenth at King's Place. The mood will be very. Everything changes at the start of a political year. The mood is never quite the same. The stakes will f- begin to feel very high, and uh, tickets are available on the King's Place website. So do. Come along to some of those if you can. Anyway, in the meantime, I know you'll be delving deep and reflecting on these by-elections. So let's get together early next week. And of course, if you're on Patreon, live on Monday night. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye.